You are listening to OWC Radio number 44. Taking stock in Apple. Hello once again, this is OWC Radio, episode number 44. I'm your host, Grant, and getting right down to business, let's just go around the table and introduce all the other players. Hello, I'm Mike H. I'm Chris. And I'm OWC Michael. Well, as always, it was a very busy week of headlines in the Apple universe, and a couple of things caught my eye. Um, well, a lot of things caught my eye, but um, really it's about the performance of Apple as a company. And here's just some juicy uh, sections of the headlines. Apple may surpass Exxon as the world's most valuable company. They're number two. And actually, for those of you that still carry the torch of wanting to put a pitchfork into Microsoft, Apple just leapfrogged ahead of Microsoft to take the number two spot on the S&P 500 list. What was that, like a month and a half ago or something like that they did that? Yeah. you know, Something like that. Yeah, Maybe yeah, a couple yeah. months. Um, and, you know, it's uh, they're still growing. Um, as some analysts say, they still grow like a startup. Uh, their revenue is expected to jump 50% by the end of the year. And, of course, naturally, much of that comes from the iPad and iPhones, which, according to analysts, and I always have to put that in there because this is not Grant's take. This is uh, looking at what the experts in the field say. Um, iPads and iPhones account for half of Apple's revenue. The other half would be Macs, of course. Well, of course. And, you know, segue into to that sentiment, um, Apple shipped nearly 2 million Macs in the third quarter of 2010, and that's good for 10.6% of the entire uh, U.S. industry, which puts it, uh, its Apple's highest in its history as far as volumes of units shipped, and that makes them now the third largest PC seller in the U.S. Metal place. And really only Hewlett-Packard and Dell are above them. Um, you know, again, uh, according to analysts, the reason why the Macs are selling better, um, and this is where we could disagree with analysts, is because it's the halo effect of uh, the iPad. So well, I completely agree with them on that one. But well, <laughs> Oh, yeah. The reason Macs are selling more now is most assuredly due to the iPhone and the iPad. People experience that whole Apple experience ecosystem of uh, integration and how your software works and all that. Right. It's a whole lot easier to sync one to your, your Mac than it is to a PC. So, Well, you know, and what's good for Apple is also good, I guess, for the bottom uh, line for many other people in the world because Apple shares just topped $300. And had you invested in Apple, and I have to find the absolute number, but I believe it was 10 years ago, Apple shares were trading for $7 a share. So had you bought Apple 10 years ago, um, you're probably listening to us on a beach somewhere enjoying a, uh, a nice cocktail and uh, chuckling at uh, your good fortune. Unless you only bought one share, then you're just appreciating the uh, $290 you got. Well, or you're having a nice dinner. But there was a split, so you'd have two shares by now. So you'd have six dollars You know, and that's, that's something interesting because uh, some people that are sitting on the sidelines kind of carping that uh, Apple has, according to analysts they have 50 billion in cash sitting on the company's balance sheet and they should be doing some sort of dividend or something like that so and i would um, say who are they to choose what a private 
semi-public company, of course, but what they do with their money. Well, now wait a second. That's semi-public are, are there shares? Well, right. So should the shareholders be, you know, going That's to a shareholders meeting with, you know, torches and pit, pitchforks, saying, "Well, what are you doing for us?" Well, all I got to do is look at the share price. Or should they just sell their shares? <laughs> yeah, sell your shares, enjoy the money. I mean, what do you want? I know that I would be out. I would say I made what? 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 What is that? Uh, I'd have to run the numbers here because you know, being uh, being a little left-brained, the the math doesn't come too easy to me. But uh, I, I think that's a pretty good gain when you go from seven to three hundred dollars. I would. If you even held during that, if you met your investment strategy, you would have probably dumped out at double or triple or quadruple. When do you say, wow? You know, unless you see it trending up. I mean, when they split their stock in '05, they went down after this after the split by about ten. So they were at 90, went to 48 or something like that, went down to 36. And then you had the iPod revolution where the iPod really started taking off. And boom, they went gangbusters. 90, 80, 70, they did fluctuate. So, But even then, wow, <laughs> when okay. do you duck out? Okay, I, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to have to break in here with just another point of view. Okay, if you're not all into the whole stock market thing, so what? That's my basic question here. I'm sitting here. I, I'm sorry. I don't. I've never followed stocks. I never really found them that interesting. Great. The company's growing. It and shows now the health what? of the company, though. It shows the health of the company, but the, it's more the installed base that's more. At least for me, it would be more interesting. How how much more software? Well, what, what can it does. I, what it what does can I show, do more with it? What those numbers show is how agile Apple can be. I mean, they're they have cash on hand. There's no debt load or whatever. Okay, yeah, they're bringing cash in because of the iPad and the iPhone 4. So people ask, how can a small company like that compete with Intel? How can a small company like that compete with the likes of Microsoft, which has this huge cash reserve? It's like, well, match that point. They have that cash reserve. They can research. They can innovate. They can buy companies that they need to for the certain technology they need. So that, that interest and that aspect of the company leads into what technological advancements they can make due to resources. Okay, that makes more sense than, okay, there's stock split. Okay, big whoop. But anyway, um, what we're looking at, though, also, when we talk about stocks and investing, is that the technology sector as a whole, unless you haven't been really following news, and that's maybe why you're tuning in to us to hear what you know our take is on the headlines so you can get all the information where you need it in one source, is is that technology really is the bright spot of the economy. So, Chris, I'd say that, you know, to you, while you don't have stock, the thing to look at is is that, you know, you work for a technology manufacturer that's aligned with the Apple universe, and this kind of goes back to, you know, Exxon and even, um, you know, some of the stalwarts of the industries like General Electric, General Motors, AT&T were the top spots. It used to be an old-school saying, what's good for General Motors is good for the company, Dare I throw out the challenge to to Chris and anyone else at the table? What's good for Apple is good for the country now. Well, let's not also forget when you want to do the whole Mac versus PC fight. I mean, Microsoft stock used to be decently around, I think it was seventy five or whatever. And people were like this thing's never going to budge. Microsoft stock's at twenty five and holding for what would be eons in the market in the uh, investment world of years. Just numerous years of being that low. So. Apple's at 300, Microsoft's at 25. You know, there's your Mac versus PC argument right there. Except for the one slight problem. All the manufacturing for their big flagship items, their iPads, their iPods, their iPhones, it's all in China. So we're not really seeing a lot of that wealth distributed. It's staying kind oh, of yeah, centered. Oh, yeah, yeah. Apple's a U.S. company, so the profits come here. 
Now, um, if you're talking manufacturing, yeah, it would be nice to have manufacturing in the United States, but then you have to deal with reality, too, is um, would you want to pay three times as much for your iPhone? Okay, now before this becomes this week on the street, yeah. <laughs> we'll get a, <laughs> we'll get a, we'll get a little, little off the, the financial numbers, and I'll, I'll take a flip side to this. Now, we've talked about how you know they're growing in uh, their stock price, they're growing in volume of units shipped. Is that necessarily a good thing? Because I also look at it that, you know, they're announcing that they're going to start selling the iPad in Walmart, of all places, Target, Amazon, Best Buy. And because of that, there is some rumblings by experts and analysts. Supposed. Supposed that uh, there could be shortages and that could temper their earnings. So is necessarily becoming number two in uh, volume of unit ship over uh, Microsoft on the S&P 500 list and um, you know 50% growth, is that necessarily a good thing for Apple and the Apple universe? Well, I mean, I would chime in saying that uh, that's one great problem that every company would love to have. You can't make them fast enough. The demand's high. I mean, I, hence, I, I heard a little tweak in your voice when you mentioned Walmart, but uh, Walmart is trying to has changed around their tech area. They're trying to compete with the Best Buys. If you walk in, they do have a pretty elaborate flat panel display section. They got the Blu-rays and all that. So I mean, they're and they've been selling Apple products for quite a while. Yeah, iPhones and iPods. So just it goes to show you how much I look for Apple products in a Walmart. Then yeah. Yeah, that's where I picked but up there, my touch. You have to uh, take into account some more rural areas, though, where uh, the Walmart might be the only nearest big box around for miles. So, like where my parents are in Freeport. Illinois, there's a lot of free ports out there. Um, Walmart is really the be- the biggest retailer out there, unless you want to go to Rockford, which is a good 40 minutes away. Okay, so right. you would. I'm you would... spoiled by being in the metropolis of the Woodstock Crystal Lake, Lake area. Lake, yeah. Well, e- even even then, our closest Apple store is uh, Woodfield. The difference between Woodfield or Deer Park. Yeah, they're about the same and, difference yeah, depending on what store you'd like to go to. That that's a haul from from Woodstock, honestly. Although I travel there all the time. Okay, so bottom Park, line... That's like 10 minutes up the road for me. Bottom line, table consensus is, although Chris is still not down with the stock market, is, is that things are looking rosy for Apple, and that's a good thing for everybody. All right, moving right along. Well, since we were talking about uh, the iPad, uh, another, I guess, note of uh, accomplishment is, is that the iPad has become the fastest-selling, quickly-adopted consumer electronics product in history, and at top the DVD player, which only shipped 350,000 units in its first year, Apple sold 300,000 iPads in its first day and took 28 days to reach 1 million units sold. And it's actually become its own category now. According to Bernstein Research, it's become the fourth-largest consumer electronics category in 2010, with over $9 billion, or it's actually set to become the fourth-largest consumer electronics category in 2011, with over $9 billion in sales. So, you know, we're touching back on a theme we had last year, our last episode, I should say. It feels like a year, because um, we're coming to you every two weeks right now, is uh, the future of computing and digital devices. And it would seem to be, then, that the consensus on the table that, the future is tab and uh, pad-type products. This just lends credence to the fact that that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, it makes it great for uh, – I think this was something we brought up last last time was it makes it great for 
consumption of uh, content, but still creation of content, is going to require something a little bit higher end. It can or can't. It, de- it depends on what you're creating. If you're creating emails, well, email is creation of content, and you can do That's that hardly content. I'm talking things like your email actual- is the number one feature of the internet. Uh, what I would say it's way over video. If everybody thinks video is so great, but there's still more email sent. But that's more what where the iPad tends to shine is on it on something along the lines of consuming video, consuming music, consuming right things like it, that. It's still a syncing uh, syncing technology like we talked about last week in the previous podcast. But um, there is a decent amount of content creation you can do. You can blog on it. You can comment on it. You can. Um, you can forward photos. You can perceive photos and save them in your photo director if you want to. Did you just uh, recommend forwarding photos? I'm going to have to hit you later. Why is that? It's just forwarding people forwarding anything is just evil. Well, you yeah, might, but that's, I that, think that you goes have to my laws of the internet. Email behaviors so. that might not be attributable to the standard user base of people who use computers, but that's okay. We won't judge you on it. Just don't judge the others on it that they do. And then also um, brings up a good point with uh, iPad having sold that much, but uh, they're also predicting next year that they'll sell 45 million iPads. And that, uh, that strikes a big number because that means they would, they would sell more iPads than they uh, sell Macs, most definitely. I think they might be nearing that number now if they're selling more than, uh, what was it, 2.85 million Macs sold this last quarter, something like that? Three. You mean Apple sells Macs? Yeah. Well, they're getting back to Mac this week, too. We'll get more on that a little later. Well, you know, uh, keeping on the iPad theme, though, and, and here's another one of these little factoids that I think is just really cool to find buried in a lot of information. We were talking about growth earlier. Um, I guess there's 2 million customers on the iTunes store, and that actually makes iTunes five times larger than Comcast, the Largest cable company in the United States. So, you know, I Wait, think the two million. Or you mean two hundred million? I'm sorry, two hundred million customers. Yeah, okay, that threw me off. Two million seems like a low number. And again, according to those experts and analysts out there, sales through iTunes now accounts for eight percent of Apple's revenue. So, you know, we talked well, that, about that. Also, the, makes them the number one music provider. Well, sure, content yeah. provider. Yeah. I think I think they realized a long time ago that um, it's not, and hence why we took. Well, why we, <laughs> why they took computer out of uh, their company name. Um, they didn't want to be limited by a defining term like that. They are a device provider. And, you know, whether you look at a computer as a device or uh, something that actually lets you create content, not necessarily share it, um, which is Chris's uh, uh, slant here on the iPad. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I think the future is very bright and rosy for, again, those halos. Well, they, they, and they also leapfrogged. I mean, they went from being number four uh, online, or number four retailer overall of music in the world, then they beat Target, then they beat Best Buy, and then they beat Walmart all within like an eight-month to a one-year period. Now, there's still more physical CDs sold, because when you add up all the other people selling physical CDs, which be your Walmart, Best Buy, Target, et cetera, you know, they they add up to being having more than the digital downloads that Apple provides. But as far as number one store, that's the iTunes Music Store. In other iPad news, uh, the, um, Verizon and AT and T are getting the iPad. They're going to sell it. Verizon's uh, throwing in some MiFi uh, combinations with purchasing and all that. So if you get the uh, if you get the iPad with a MiFi, you get some special data rates and 
some special deals there. I mean, there's some pluses and minuses to that. The uh, the MiFi, if you don't know, is this little uh, which I don't. It's a uh, it connects to three the three G network, but it uh, allows you to connect. It's like a little wireless router, so it it does Wi-Fi, but it uses the three G connection to get to the internet for you, so you can share multiple devices. I think up to five or something like that. So it's kind of cool. You take the internet with you wherever you go. It usually only lasts two to four hours. But at least if you get a Wi-Fi iPad, you can be constantly connected to the internet. That, those were those little devices, and if you watch, if you watch the Steve Jobs keynote, he said, "God, there's like 600 or 400 individual internet routers going on here. Those are all those little MiFi's or other various type products like that." So, um, you know, if if you want to get an iPad at Verizon, you'll probably have some type of combination package you can get with uh, getting a MiFi. If you're interested in the MiFi, the data rates are still kind of. Uh, Skimpy. I mean, you pay fifty bucks a month for five gig. That could be okay for like most people uh, for their internet, for even for their household use. Uh, for others, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna stream movies, if you were to stream a Netflix movie, that might not be so good because if you stream one movie or two, you probably use one fifth of your data for the month. Um, the good news is they got a little bit nicer with data coverage when you go over. It's only about ten bucks a month per gig. That seems that can be a little pricey for a lot of people, especially since like fifty gig a month for cable. Oh, I'm sorry, fifty dollars or sixty dollars a month with uh, cable internet. That's going to get you unlimited, and your unlimited technically goes to sixty to eighty gig, maybe one hundred and twenty gig, depending on your package. So paying that much for five gig, I think they're making money hand over fist. But uh, you get your iPad wireless, unless you want to buy the 3G one, which uh, AT&T will have the 3G. Verizon's only going to have the Wi-Fi one, so hence their their little MiFi unit uh, combo packs and deals and all that. So let me ask you this: as a ardent iPad user, what uh, what do you, what what are you going to do? What's your uh, lean towards? Well, I didn't buy the 3G, nor was I waiting for the 3G. So I, I knew I was Wi-Fi only. But if I was a uh, but um, I used to work downtown in Chicago a lot. So if I was on the train every day, I most likely would have held out for an iPad 3G. I like the convenience of having one device. I don't want to carry two devices, which one will connect to the Internet, and maybe the battery's going to last me my time I need to. If I need it to last three hours and I only got two hours of juice in it, I'm now stuck without the Internet. So I'd rather have the Internet tied to the device personally. But if you have multiple devices or you want to use the Internet at home, for your laptop or whatever, I mean, the MiFi, you could just not buy cable, internet, or DSL, or any other type of broadband. Use that only as your sole uh, internet connection, and you only pay one rate. So That's basically what I do with my uh, particular setup um, right now. It's through USB tethering to, for my laptop to my phone, but uh, eventually down the line I'll be switching to something different, and, yeah, it, it, it's... Just one less bill I've got to pay, really. Right. I mean, that's where I approach it, too. I mean, I already had an iPhone, so I'm already paying data on that. I didn't want to pay data on an iPad as well. And I already pay for data on my Comcast broadband. So I'm I'm paying for data connections. You know, it would be nice to consolidate to one, possibly. I don't think five gig a month would do it. And then I'd probably make the wife mad if I took the Internet connection with me. So having that constant internet connection at home really you know, it's kind of like the base that's yeah, for. 5 gig a month is not a realistic uh ex- expectation especially on something along the lines of the iPad where you're consuming uh high bandwidth data things like video. Mm-hmm. Well honestly I got to say I, I do kind of just mirror my uh my desktop internet usage with my iPad. I'm reading a lot of articles so 
I do I do view video. It's not as much. I have streamed Netflix, but I mean I prefer to watch movies on my home theater. That might be of how you're how you're using it, but that how Apple is positioning it. It's they want you to consume video and all that stuff. Right. Well, well in other news, I'll uh, we're, we're fighting over headlines here. <laughs> um, switching off of iPad, I think we've uh, we've we've run that as as long as we can, and uh, we've we've hit all the headlines that are notable about it for this week. I'm sure there will be another slew of headlines well, this week. There will be a combo article brought up later. But, but yeah, um, moving to iPhone-type news, and in the spirit of detente, perhaps, or detente, is that uh, Windows Phone 7 will be offering Mac support later this year. And sometimes when you, when you see Microsoft wanting to play nice with Apple, it, it always kind of, I guess, shocks you, especially for some of us old school people that remember that movie East of Eden um, and really live for that last uh, section of the movie. But um, well, And bringing up Windows uh, Phone 7, it was introduced Monday by Microsoft yeah. by the, the about worst keynote speaker in the world, <laughs> Balmer. I mean, he just comes across as worse than a used car salesman. He's like a PE teacher, not, and that's giving PE teachers a bad name. If you have them go up and say, you're going to like this product, you got to buy this product. This is great. It's about mine. And that's what he brought. He talked about the whole time. This is a product of mine. It was really awkward, really weird. He well, should keynote. Could it, could it possibly be that he just had passion and he, and he forgot that he's part of a team and that he was taking ownership of it? Well, the way I look at it, though, even the stage was wrong. I mean, App, when Apple goes up, they have this glorious set, stage. And if you think about it, the stage is glorious in its simplicity. It looks like an old high school gymnasium theater or whatever where you just have the black walls the screens gigantic bombers in front of a 10-foot screen at best it looks like microsoft can't afford it well then you also have to look i think that's more of microsoft style um if you look Inept. at the microsoft stores <laughs> versus the apple stores you know including oh, that's the a direct copy. slide well that's what i'm bringing up though they, if they directly copied they would have a big screen. They had a 10-foot screen and some offshoot area, and Balmer's in this uncomfortable location making everybody else uncomfortable watching him. Could it be the difference of a company being run by engineers and yeah. uh, developers versus imagineers? Well, I don't think yeah, – I think you're, you're onto something there, but Balmer's well, not an engineer. To it as well. Balmer's a business guy. Well, being run for a more corporate environment versus more a more creative. Well, you know, and which brings us to that, you know, okay, so iPhone 4 versus Windows Phone 7. I mean, you're going to have two different uh, operating systems and already well, three. the... Well, Android. with Android. True. Well, but yeah, but the, the comparative, well, but the comparative is you sh we shouldn't even be talking about iPhone 4 versus Windows 7 yet. It's, it's Windows Phone 7 versus Android. They don't need, Android doesn't touch the iPhone yet. As people step back from iPhone, purchase an Android, there's some issues there. With You've seen the best of the best. Everything else is kind of a copy. That's the only reason those exist. They're copies. So can this Windows version, which takes a different approach to the home screen versus icons, they have a data experience tile, which is pretty innovative. I have to give Microsoft props on their OS for that. They're, they're targeting that segmented, highly segmented, and really awkward Android layout where there's all these different OSs. Well, the OS is similar, but there's all different variants of the OS, and there's all different types of skins and how the OS looks, works, and feels. It's really fragmented. So can Windows 7 really take advantage of that fragmented market and say, look, this is unified? One of the arguments that I've read, I think it was in Engadget, 
was talking about how the keyboards are so different on every Android phone because every device maker uses their own set of specs, whereas Microsoft is really working with these manufacturers and saying, no, we want to calibrate the screen so the keyboard feels the same as you go phone to phone to phone. So they're really doing what they should be on user interface design. That it's consistent, reliable as you jump around from devices. Somewhat basically copying iOS 4. I mean, as far as the consistency of use. Yeah, they're, but they're, Microsoft also and has appearance. a lot of years of user appearance, interface design. Not even close. I, I looked at this. No, no. What I mean is consistency <laughs> of appearance, so that it's oh. the same. It looks it's the same. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's yeah, they're same. going. They know they can't compete directly with iOS 4, so they're trying a different tact and mm-hmm. seeing if the data is the better way to flow. I, I I looked at those screen they had screenshots, and I'm sorry, it just looks like it was designed for, for lack of a better term, a, a four year old. I mean that may that may very well be, but uh, I would I would say uh, look at it in video as well, see how the screens move. I think some of the icons are crazy. They have these little arrows that look exactly like Apple arrows. I don't know how they're not going to get sued for user interface copying. But uh, as far as the overall OS, I mean, I think it's really smooth. They're, they might be onto something. I'd like to try one out. It's kind of the first phone I've seen when it's in video that I can actually see the interface using that I could say, well, at least it works smoothly like iOS 4. Whereas Android, you start clicking around, it gets, it gets a little chunky. And if you're used to iOS 4's smoothness and animations and all that, Android feels a little awkward. Do you really need animations in your phone, though? Uh, it's part of the OS experience, user, interspa- user interface design aesthetic, uh, reinforcing what you clicked, all that stuff, all that, all those little fine details go into making the holistic experience. I mean, as an Apple fan, you experience that with Mac OS X. Even, even OS 9 and before had something better than what Microsoft had. I mean, before Windows Vista, Microsoft's mouse was jerky. The, the actual mouse icon, when you moved your mouse around, was jerky in comparison to Apple's buttery smooth thing. So it's those small little animations and elements that reinforce the entire OS and make it feel more solid. So I think that goes a long way into making the OS feel more responsive and solid, depending on how smooth animations go, transitions, when you're moving between applications, and even even multitasking. Um, I mean, Microsoft's not going to hit this out of the ballpark when they go. They're, they're, you know, they're coming out with some of the limitations of being their first version out. You know, this is almost like beta, maybe 1.0. There's no copy and paste in this. There was no copy and paste in the iPhone when it first came out. So there's, there's some things they're going to have to catch up on. It's a matter of will people be receptive to this? Does it work the way people want? Now, if it's, you know, we haven't seen any reporting on blue streams of death. So we'll see on crash reports, but the original Windows Mobile was not real hot on that either. I mean, Windows, Microsoft's been here before. This is, you know, take three. They, they went through Windows Mobile numerous times trying to get that to work and never took off. They were trying to compete with Palm, copying Palm, never having a real full OS, and then doing, what was it? Um, well, it wasn't CE, but it was, a, it was a Windows Mobile that they were trying to say, hey, you uh, let's do PowerPoint on your phone. Well, no one wants to do PowerPoint on their phone. You know. But then... I have to actually have to retract that statement mildly. There are certain people who want to do PowerPoint on their phone, but it's for work. You know, when people, the phones are now becoming part of your personal identity that you're taking with you because now with all the social media, emails, and keeping up with people, it, it's transcended as like, I hate to pull back to like the whole uh, Apple distortion field, but I mean, the iPhone truly is internet in your pocket. You can take it with you and you can look stuff up and the speeds get faster, gets more convenient. So it's a matter of, these phones are more appliance-like now. If, if the phone doesn't crash, I mean, iOS is extremely reliable on not crashing. 
I mean, it, it's just off the hook. Um, if Windows can match that and keep their interface looking the same, it's, it, I think it's going to please a lot of people. It could be a player then. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're going for, but they've got to compete with Android first before they even talk about competing with iPhone. Well, you know, Chris, the, the other thing as far as look and feel of Windows Phone 7 is, and I, I know you said it looked like it was aimed for a four-year-old, you know, um, with having two kids and uh, touchscreen interfaces becoming more and more prevalent with a younger and younger demographic, um, you know, you got to look at, like, the success of the jitterbug phone. A lot of people laugh at that ad in the back of various coupon flyers and magazines, but it's one of the best-selling cellular phones out there because for some users, both young and old, all they really want is a phone to make and receive calls. And so if you take the interface and make it more approachable for that older and younger demographic, Microsoft could actually be on to something here. Maybe maybe the, the slickness of iOS 4 is for those people that are used to a uh, technology interface, and you've got people that are either trying to adopt one. I know uh, a couple people here, they're, they're getting their parents into the use of technology, and it's a struggle. Um, as well as when you first have your kids. I mean, they're coming at it from having never operated a computer. They don't, they don't know what WYSIWYG is. They don't know, you know... Um, at that uh, point, then, do they even necessarily need a phone of that expense? Or do they need just something like the aforementioned jitterbug? Well, as people move around, though, I mean, the whole... The Internet's getting very pervasive, of course. It almost goes without saying. So email and having contact with your relatives or your grandchildren, I mean, that, that comes in a heavy play of making that distance feel smaller. So making email convenient. I mean, Apple puts mail at the bottom dock. There's a dock on their phone. Uh, Microsoft has email, an email tile that just says, here's how many things you have. So it, it just Microsoft's putting the data forward a little more in these big, bulky tiles, but perhaps that works for a lot of people. We'll see. All right, well, moving on. Um, something, since I mentioned children, um, there was actually some cool technology that Apple patented this week. And regardless of your feelings on the title, I think it's an appropriate subject to talk about, especially if you have children. Apple patented anti-sexting technology, and uh, it's not been commercialized yet. It would let a phone's administrator block an iPhone from sending or receiving text with certain words. Uh, looks like they filed for it in January of 2008, and it looks like they're also that it could prod the kids towards better grammar and that it would have to fix spelling, punctuation, and grammar mistakes before sending a message. So little uh, keys like uh, OMG and LOL may actually uh, become something of the past with this technology. But I think the key point to uh, any parent such as myself is, is that, you know, I like the idea of this. Some may look at it as big brotherish. I think that this is almost like being able to be there and be on your kid's shoulder saying, really, don't do that. So uh, I'll forward it to the table, and uh, some of us have kids, some of us don't, but uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, patent and the technology of it? Well, as a uh, parental uh, thing, that would be great. It's a matter of free speech, uh, in, in my opinion. The last time uh, I checked, you can type whatever URL you want in Safari. Exactly. Here, exactly. let's try that now. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> let's not. 
you know, but as a uh, parental guidance uh, feature, that's great. If they're going to start censoring everybody on it this way, well, I wouldn't view it as Apple censoring though. It it empowers a parent. Yeah, to from a, uh, from the description we just had, it's uh, it should be a uh, selectable option, just like uh, parental controls in OS ten. Well, I'm a little more heavy-handed. I mean, I, I know. Um, I mean, I wouldn't read when she gets. When my daughter is two now. When she gets older, I'm not going to read her uh, journal or uh, anything like that. But as far as internet access goes, I will guarantee I'll tell her I get to read all your texts. I get to look at your internet history. I can see where you're going. Otherwise, you just won't have access to it. And that's that's it. Now, as for the other end of it, uh, just the shortening of uh, abbreviations that the LOLs, the OMGs, the uh, whatever other ones are out there, I don't know. I don't text, but uh, <gasps> no, I don't. But I I'm texter. Uh, I just don't have anybody worth texting. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to be a friend of Chris's, you can email podcast at maxsales dot com. Better yet, what's your phone number? <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, however. With that, there is that annoying uh, limit of the 160 characters. So in order to put in a complete thought, you're going to have to come up with abbreviations somewhere along the line in order just to fit it in. Otherwise, you're doing two text messages, which is, of course, a double ding, which, you know, with the obnoxious pricing of text messages anyway. Could well, this they, be collusion, come. then? Are you suggesting that this is to actually raise the revenue of text messaging? Well, a lot of people who do text now who have a teen who texts, they'll just pay the $15 a month, bite the $10 extra charge for unlimited texting because kids can text a lot. 2,500 texts a month, that's easy. I don't know, folks. You know, I guess I'll give a summary. Um, I, I'm becoming the curmudgeonly one of this podcast. Yeah, but you can imagine. You know what? If, was if you job. have something to say, go see the person or call them. But, oh, my God, using a phone to actually that's, speak to someone. Give me a break. OMG. OMG. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. OMG. Now, I don't agree with, like, letting kids text in school. I see that a lot of times now on the on news and all that where kids are just being really disrespectful and texting during school. I mean, stop that usage. And the only thing where I can defend texting is in that it's a little more uh, convenient for both parties then, rather than having to interrupt. Now, last night I was at a rehearsal for a show I happened to be in, and right in the middle of it, my mother calls with a ra- my rather embarrassing ring uh, ringtone. What so, is that ringtone? Uh, we won't even go into that right now, <laughs> because it'll get in all your heads. Uh, nonetheless, it went off right in the middle of the rehearsal, uh, which was amusing because of the really poignant point where we were. So, you know, it's kind of inconvenient. Uh, a quick text message would have just set off a simple uh, buzz, and uh, you'd have been done with it. I could deal with it later. See, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to texting and chat in general. I, I view that as the uh, actually read me now, read me now type of uh, communication versus I actually prefer email where I can I see I have a new email I can choose to read it now but it's not really there and I can I always have a history of I can come back to it even if I look at it I know I can go back to it the next day reply to it versus and I have a reminder that it's in my inbox versus uh, you know I wouldn't give the, it has the that reminder of, but I wouldn't give the length of a uh, reply to it uh, email as long of a or wouldn't compare them e- you can wait a little longer on an email. Yeah, maybe 24 hours. Mm-hmm. A text to give you a couple hours, usually enough time for you to finish whatever the heck you're working on. Then 
deal with uh, the next message. Well, you know, there there is so a somewhere great right point. in between. You you were in what a a, a play or, or you were in rehearsal? I was in a rehearsal. You shouldn't even have the device on you. You want to know why? Because you should be focused on what you're doing. And it was that's actually where I draw the line about technology. Is is mm-hmm. that at some point unplug and put the damn thing down? Put it on the vibrator. Yeah. It, it was down. It was backstage. It just happened that I forgot to turn the ringer off. Ah. Uh-huh. But wow. nonetheless. <laughs> Whose phone is it? Really? It's so mine. Who's, whose I'm fault is it then? Is it really the caller or is it the person with but the device? But nonetheless, it's, some, person with the it's device. somebody <laughs> trying, you blame to the caller too? Why you trying to call. So it's, it's, it is a problem there You know where, oh, I have to answer this now. But if you, if you want to talk dollars and cents, though, I mean, uh, texting is essentially email before phones had email. So, I mean, with, it, as more and more people get smartphones, you can realize that, yeah, you can pay the f- $15, get unlimited texting, cool and all, but email's more free. I mean, it, oh, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't take hardly any data to send an email. If I'm going to, if I'm going to be uh, contacting anybody nine times out of ten, it's going to be email anyway. Right. I mean, and there was, a, there was a, a few years ago, there was a whole thing, oh, how companies are going to have to evolve to texting because kids don't want to email. Sorry, wrong. Data communication with business is done via email because there's a better track record of what you've, what you've talked about. So, you know, all these little prognosticators saying, oh, texting is going to be the future of how we communicate in business. Eh, sorry, you're wrong. I don't know. Just in saw business, he- hell no. Just saw a headline this morning that said that more and more teens are really eschewing. Do you like that word? Eschewing? Eschewing. Eschewing. <laughs> Let's just all say eschewing. Eschew. Uh, phone calls. And their primary and preferred method of communication is texting. So... You know, and another well, story. It's textual, though, so they can they'd still also be comfortable with email. Well, but again, we're talking about the future of business and how people are going to communicate. And another article that I read said that um, social media actually is going to be uh, quite a ne- have quite a negative impact on business communication because people are going to not know how to be uh, flowing and is it verbose. In their communication, how and to writ well? Yeah, yeah. How to writ well? Exactly. <laughs> and that, in fact, I was listening to uh, a local news station here, uh, AM radio. Can you imagine listening to that um, every day? And, and they I were saying AM radio every morning. Well, see, and we're afternoon. all old. <laughs> but they were saying that his one of his key advices to a twelve or thirteen year old right now is to pursue a writing degree in college because you will be one of the few people. On the planet, in 10 years, when you graduate from college, it'll be able to effectively communicate in writing in a business setting. Now, on the, on the, uh, as far as preferred communication, I don't do that as just teens. I've always been that way. I'd rather email someone than call them. Oh, yeah, I'm the same way. I, I hate talking to I'm along that way. But on, on the uh, writing thing, yeah, but uh, these, you don't need to take, go to college for that. Just pay attention in school. If, if you actually have a decent school, you can learn to write. That's what they're trying to teach you. Just pay Read attention to your homework and get the test right. Now, see, listeners, you heard, you heard Mike and Chris about that they'd rather email than call. So here's some, some business career advice for your children if you have children. Make sure they know how to present in person and how to actually verbally communicate with someone because those will be skills that I can tell you right now that are going to be missing from others that are younger than me that are teaching their kids, well, just email someone or just text them. Teach your children well, and that would be to actually use a phone and deliver a verbal presentation because the last time I checked, very few things are ever sold via an email or phone. Oftentimes it takes that face-to-face 
where you're actually and where you can where you can pay someone, you can learn visual and uh, non-visual cues, and you can actually turn that presentation into something fantastic. Let's face it, Jobs is a master of it. Is he doing anything via a teleconference or video? No, he's doing it live because he's old school like me. I'm the same age as him, or roughly thereabouts, and we know the power and the pervasiveness of that human contact and live performance and live theater and what that does to someone. Yeah, there's a certain place for it. Now, you, now you're actually uh, combining talking on the telephone and... Uh, Presenting. And, and actually talking face-to-face. That, those, are two distinct, those are two distinctly, distinctly different things. I will sooner walk down the hall and talk to somebody than pick up the phone and uh, exactly. call them. I'm on that same... Level two, I, I mean, how many times a day do I walk down to your office rather than uh, send over a chat or send over a uh, or reply to an email? Too I'm, often. Yes, too often. <laughs> and I would like you to call me because I could actually deal with it quicker, and yet it would still be a live communication where there'd be ebb and flow, give and take. Except for you're also losing out on certain verbal and nonverbal cues. Yes, exactly. I know your eye rolls. I'm a face-to-face guy. I love too. those eye rolls. <laughs> eye rolls. Come on. Okay, well, we've talked a lot about all things I, and uh, maybe we should get back to some things M, as in back to Mac, if you've been following the headlines. It's about damn time. Well, and with further ado, I think uh, I'll either uh, turn this over to uh, Chris or Mike to uh, give us some of their thoughts on what the back to Mac event uh, might possibly contain for all of us fanboys out there. Well, and as far as I'm concerned, it's... We're, we're, or at least I can't really say as far as I'm concerned. As far as I hope, we're actually going to get a little bit more information on you know, the actual Macintosh platform as opposed to the iPhone or the iPad. Well, the the or, graphical peak in the announcement is a little lion behind an Apple logo. Well, not very a little lion, but a full-fledged lion. No tigers and bears, but a lion. Well, seeing as all the OSs are named after big cats, I'm guessing that the next, maybe we'll get a peek at iOS, or iOS, Mac OS <laughs> 10, so uh, 10.7. Well, what do you, you know, let's go around the table and say, what are you looking for? I'll, I'll start off. Um, <laughs> uh, Snow Leopard's good enough for me, so I, I don't have any uh, a burning desire or needs that, uh, but again, admittedly, I'm the uh, least of the power users. Does it work, and does it work for my needs? And Snow Leopard has everything I need. So, um, you know, updating hardware, always a good thing, always making things faster, but as far as the OS, uh, I'm good. What hardware would we think they would have? They might have the they might have a MacBook Air upgrade, maybe. I mean, that's kind of low on the horizon. Maybe an iMac update. They might be due for that, but the iMacs right now are so powerful as they are. Well, if I'm going to go for a pipe dream, I'd say you know that mid-range Mac tower, you know, maybe with two PCIe slots and that does extra, bring up a good point. Extra bay or something. Because yeah, the Mac Pro has gotten ridiculously expensive for anybody who'd prefer a tower. There's no mini tower anymore. Or who would just like to add, you know, a second video card, or or a hard drive with ease, you know. or eSATA. Granted, well, the now wait a second, easy. you've brought the marketer out in me, and yeah. if I have to, you know, we we were uh, uh, our, we had some feedback on our episode number forty three, and uh, I didn't think that I shilled too hard on the USB port, but um, I am going to shill hard here since you're talking about a mid range computer and one with eSATA. Um, for those of you listeners out there, you do realize that OWC is the first and only source 
for an ESATA-equipped iMac, and some people are finding that you can have that workstation that Mike is alluding to for thousands less directly from OWC. You can have up to three drives in it. You can have an eSATA port, SSDs, hard drives, whatever you want. We can add it to an iMac and you know, almost really bridge the gap between what an iMac is and what a Mac Pro is. You can have a Mac Pro on your desktop for thousands less. But that's not the, the bridge that we're looking for in this. Uh, if we were looking for someone we're, to create it, it would be Apple to create it. We're looking for a bridge between the mini and the iMac, something without a monitor. The iMac's an awesome machine, especially these those i7 ones. And with that... Heck, the i5 or the, or the normal cores, they're, yeah. they're, they're pretty fast for the, most people. They're really fast. And the new, and this OWC turnkey service is a really cool addition. Oh, However, especially the SATA upgrade. Yeah. That's, However, that's uh, like Michael just said, we are, it, what I was actually talking about is actually something more in between the mini and the iMac, uh, it's kind of like a, a, a mini on steroids, for lack of a better term. See, I would just want a, a more affordable Mac Pro. Can I get a Mac Pro that's $1,600, that's sweet spot? Yeah, I, I can get an iMac, but maybe I have a 30-inch display already. Well, I don't want an iMac to replace my 30-inch display, too. I want to utilize what I purchased. I want, I want to, but also, what's the number one sellers? Laptops and iMacs. I mean, the Mac Pro is serving a definite, definite pro market with very strong quotations on that. Well, it's, it's, it's going to be definitely interesting to see what they talk about that back-to-Mac event. I mean, maybe they might surprise us. It is fall, so Apple has big announcements, and uh, hopefully we'll have a lot of good stuff to report back to on the next OWC podcast. See you then. Thanks for listening.